Welcome to Tigers in 20, a Go Tigers 247 audio podcast, your one-stop shop for all things University of Memphis Tigers athletics. Here are your hosts, founder of Go Tigers 247, Brooks Hansen, and lead writer for Go Tigers 247, Christian Fowler. Welcome back to this week's episode. I'm your host and lead writer, Christian Fowler, and joining me as always is Go Tigers 247 founder, Brooks Hansen. Brooks, what are we talking about this week? Man, we're on week 31, uh, and it feels like Mike Norvell and his staff got 31 football uh, commitments over the weekend. I mean, it just felt like it was nonstop. So we are talking all things 2020 recruiting for Mike Norvell and staff. And then we're going to keep it simple this week. We're going to do some Q&A from the board. Last week, we posted a thread and asked for some of the burning questions that our, our VIP members have. Uh, so we're going to cover those for the rest of the show. But man, Christian, five commits, three days for Mike Norvell for 2020, now propelling them inside the top 55 uh, overall for the team rankings. Uh currently slated in his best slot ever now obviously that's going to change as the rest of this class sorts itself out but uh immediate thoughts well first off it's a huge start for mike norvell and his staff and we talked about this last week on the episode just just how important it was to get a hot start for them and then you actually asked me at the end of the episode you know who's next are they going to be able to keep this rolling and they certainly have it started on Saturday getting uh, Markel Jones and Tajiri Smith, and I know for a fact that Tajiri Smith has been one of their biggest defensive back targets in the 2020 class, so I know uh, the coaching staff was excited to land him. And then typically that's when you have your big spikes is over the weekend or you know during your official visit times. And then on Monday they end up getting a slew of commitments. They get three guys uh, starting off Monday morning with Savanta Oliver, then they get Jonah Gimble, and then they wrap the day up getting Keelon Brown, who on their overall big board was probably in their top five or top ten target. So it was it was a great few days for the staff to be able to continue to build this class that they started so strong. And I know this is typically a very odd time of year because there's you know there's no available football practices that media can go to. There's no basketball practices that media can go to. So it's a weird time of year where there's typically not much going on. But Mike Norvell and his staff have you know made a ton of noise right now. Like you said, Brooks, they have you know a top 55 class right now, the top class in the American Athletic Conference. So it really is a hot start. It's it's nothing to overlook as Memphis fans, and I think really Monday has really shown Memphis fans, you know, how, how much this staff is putting into this recruiting class and it's, it's paid dividends early on. Well, you know, for me, one of the things that really, it just, it jumps off the page is for 2020 alone, Memphis has three of its top 17 overall all time recruits in this class already. Um, so obviously you're recruiting at a high level, uh, compared to what what Memphis has done historically, and the thing is, is you know, it's not like this is crazy because they did, you know, something similar with 2019. You know, uh, with 2018 they got uh, Oladelli. Did I say that wrong? Now butcher it. No, that's right, Coyote Oladelli. I'm proud of you. Everybody who listens to the show knows I butcher names. Uh, it's, it's progress. It's what I do. It's progress. It's what I do. It's it's what I it's what I'm known for. Uh, then Cole Mashburn, he's another guy that was in, inside that top 20 overall of Memphis all-time commit. So a uh, hot start for Mike Norvell and staff. So let's go one by one on these guys and really break them down, what they bring to the table. 
Uh, and I'm going to let you choose who you go through first uh, outside. You know, we've already talked about Kondarius Taylor, Kalen Granberry. Uh, we talked about Lou Dorsey, uh, Matthew. Uh, who else did we? It's Kobe Webster we talked about last week. Um, I think that's it. So we're going to talk about the five guys that have popped over the last three days. So I'm going to let you choose from that pool. It sounds like I'm going to get to talk a lot this week for once. You are. All right. Well, if that's how we're going to go with this, I'll start off with Keelon Brown because, like I said earlier, he was one of their top commitments on the big board, if you were to look at it. That was one of their top targets. And getting a quarterback is always huge for Mike Norvell. Mike Norvell will never have a recruiting class where he does not get a quarterback. Uh, Obviously, depending on the year, sometimes he'll take more. But I think this is his marquee guy for this class. Uh, This is the guy they wanted to go all out on. And if you turn on the tape... It's very obvious why Keelon Brown is a dual-threat quarterback. He's the number 20 overall dual-threat quarterback. He's a top 550 guy, so very, very big-time commitment for them. That's their highest-rated high school commit so far. Um, And when you say dual-threat quarterback, Keelon Brown is the definition of that. In his junior season at Zachary High School, had 2,500 passing yards, 25 touchdowns, uh, over 1,100 rushing yards, and 17 touchdowns, so... The reason I'm going to start off with this is because it's it's exciting to think about Memphis's offense, which, as we know, is one of the best offenses in the country, and it has been over the past several years. Uh, high-powered offense, high-flying, they're going to throw the ball at you a ton. Uh, but as we learned last year, the team can run the hell out of the football too. So it's exciting to think what a Mike Norvell offense can look like with a guy like Keelon Brown under the center. And I know we're projecting a little bit here, and it'll obviously – probably be a while before Keelan Brown uh, is a starting quarterback at Memphis but when you think about um, what these offenses have done with pretty non-mobile quarterbacks I mean Paxton Lynch had good pocket mobility but wasn't going to scare anybody with his legs too much Uh, Riley Ferguson same thing wasn't going to get out of the pocket Brady White as we know is not going to get out of the pocket so to get a guy like Keelan Brown (laughs) Why are you laughing? Why you gotta do Brady White like that? <laughs> he's not a mobile quarterback, so it's just that's just yeah. that's just part of it. I mean, he didn't run for eleven hundred yards and seventeen touchdowns like Keelan Brown. So, and it really it really ties back into Marquevion Quinn too, because now you have two guys that can run the ball. Uh, I do think that Keelan Brown is a little more advanced with his arm strength and with his accuracy. So, when he gets on campus, it'll be exciting to see uh, what kind of packages they have for him. I know I spent a lot of time on that one, so time to move on. I really want to go next with another guy they landed on Monday in Jonah Gamble, uh, a big nasty offensive lineman, six foot four, two eighty. He's gained you know fifteen twenty pounds over the summer, so I think he's a guy. By the time he gets on campus, will probably be in that three hundred to three hundred and five range, which that's what you want when you're coming into school. So very exciting there. We know Ryan Sil- Silverfield does great things with these offensive linemen regardless of where they come from or where they ranked, he always has a great offensive line. Um, and Jonah, when I spoke to him when he committed, said, I try to model my game like a big, nasty, violent offensive lineman. And for me, as a guy who loves football and has always been around the game of football, that's what you want from your offensive lineman. You want a big, nasty mauler who wants to go out there and kill defensive linemen and linebackers, and that's just how it is. So um getting him is another big piece that's their first offensive line commit for this class so I know Ryan Silverfield was happy to get him and now I'm gonna move on to Tajiri Smith who I talked about earlier saying that he was one of Memphis's top defensive back targets 
Um, and it's this, you know, this class as far as the defensive backfield goes has been pretty interesting to me with the two guys that they've landed. So I'm gonna I'm gonna package Tajiri Smith and Savanta Oliver into one uh, since they both are defensive backs. Last year in the 2019 class, we saw Memphis take a lot of bigger corners, a lot of you know six foot plus guys. I think all their defensive back commits were over six foot. Uh, with these two guys, they're a little bit smaller. But I think that's a play on the staff, you know, trying to find tweener guys that can play that nickel corner slot or play uh, man-to-man with some of those speedy receivers. So it's a really smart play by the staff getting cornerbacks and defensive backs that can uh, cover basically any type of wide receiver. You have guys like John Broussard and Sean Watkins who are, who are already on campus who are bigger guys um, and can really play that physical, tough man-to-man coverage. And then you get two two guys in this class, and Taziri Smith and – Savanta Oliver, who aren't necessarily the biggest. I think they're both around that 5'10 mark, uh, but they have a ton of speed. They can play bump and run coverage. And and like I said, that's what you want in your defensive backfield. You want versatile defensive backs who can cover any type of receiver uh, because you wouldn't want to put Jayshon Watkins on a guy who's you know 5'10 and runs a 4'4 because he's you know he's 6'4, he's a long corner. Uh, you know, still gonna have to learn how to you know use his hips and flip his hips. So when you have some of those smaller guys that works out perfectly. So that's that's another thing that just shows you that the staff really is next level and they really do understand what they're doing on the recruiting trail and who they're targeting. Uh, missing anybody? I got one more. Yeah, you got one more, but on, on what you're saying about those two, you know, Oliver and Smith, you know, Oliver, we don't have his measurables, um, but Tajiri Smith, he was a guy that com- competed at the National Combine uh, in 2019, and he, he put up a 4 6 a four five one uh, shuttle, and and for a guy at five nine and a half, uh, posted an almost thirty nine inch vertical. So you know he's obviously you know he's a guy that has elite level athleticism at that position, uh, in spite of his size. So speed, athleticism, uh, something that shows a good mix from what Memphis got last year. Yeah, Brooks, you definitely hit the nail on the head there with Taziri Smith. And and like I said, we still have one more left to go, and that's Markel Jones, who committed on Saturday. Kind of like you, I think I might have murdered his name. I hope, I hope I'm saying that right. Markel Jones, that looks right. We'll go with it. Um, but anyway, he's a lot like Kai Matthew, who committed uh, you know, last weekend. Uh, not a very big guy, 5'9", 160 pounds, but it's exactly the same thing that I'm saying with the defensive backs that they're doing with the receivers and I know a lot of people get excited about the you know the measurables the height weight size and all that and they certainly have guys like that a guy like Kendarius Taylor 6'2 Kobe Webster 6'1 so they're already getting some receivers with height but if you mix that with guys like Markel Jones and Kai Matthew who are smaller guys but known for their quickness. I mean, Kai Matthew is a guy who had 19 receptions for over 400 yards last year. So what this staff is trying to do on both sides of the ball is really get dynamic athletes um, who can who can really do everything on the field. And that goes for both sides of the ball. As far as the receiver goes, they're, they're getting players that um, can play in the slot, can play on the outside. And you really have to choose at that point, you know, are you going to throw players on the field that can cover this team's height or are you going to try to match the speed? Um, And it goes for the same thing on the defensive side of the ball. They want to have a defensive back that can cover every type of receiver and they want to have receivers that can beat every type of defensive back. So it just, it goes more into just how, how smart the staff is and their recruiting and 
and how they're piecing this team together and continuing to build this team that has been, you know, one of the, to me, one of the top 25 or top 30 programs in the country over the past few years. And Mike Norvell and his staff are proving that they don't want that to be the limit. They don't want to say, okay, you you remember that time 10 years ago when Memphis was good for three years? They want this to be everlasting. They want to a, keep a solid bedrock for this team, and they're certainly doing that with the recruiting classes. So, Brooks, with, with that being said, with, with the big weekend that Memphis had and some of the commitments they've had, what does this say about Mike Norvell and his staff? They're you know they're not being complacent. They're still going out here and and pushing Power Five schools and schools that go to bowl games every year and have bigger names than Memphis. That they're pushing them for some of these commitments. Well, I think more than anything, it speaks to how important getting these uh, young men on campus is. The good majority of the commits so far from Memphis have either been local guys who know all about the program, know the momentum that, that it has, the, the improvements that are taking place, both with the Liberty Bowl locker rooms and uh, the practice facilities on South Campus. But a lot of these other guys are guys that were part of the large, mega, huge, big cat camp Uh <laughs> <laughs> big cat mega camp just, i gotta i gotta make fun of it uh i think last week you called it the big camp cat camp the whole I, just, I love the name it's <laughs> you can just add every single uh you know pronoun on there it's just it's amazing uh, it works but for all of these guys getting on campus one they see kind of the the mantra of mike norvell since he's arrived in memphis is all about fit and family they see that they see the fit the family the way that the community and the staff rallies around players. But two, they see a a growing program with facilities that are starting to match what they're preaching and the results that are happening on the field. Um, So a lot of these, I I don't think that it's really that um, Mike Norvell and staff are doing anything different than they did in year one. It's just that they now have the resources to show like this is serious football. They have a brand now. Exactly. And now they've got guys that they can point to and say, like, we developed these guys. We put them in the NFL. The proof is in the pudding. We've, we've got a brand. We've got, we've got results. And we've got the resources. Um, so I think that's what it's all about for the staff so far. Um, and I think it's, it's only going to keep getting better. Yeah, and you, you touched on some really good points there. A lot of coaches, and not even a lot of coaches, every coach, regardless of you know what level, what division it's at, every coach has their cliches that they say over and over again, and it's mainly for recruiting. Uh, and Memphis has been fit and family under Mike Norvell, and a lot of people may think that that's just something catchy that Norvell says when he gets a commit or something like that, but he's selling these guys on that. I talk to just about everybody that commits and every recruit, and they all say the same thing. Uh, especially when they commit, they say, "I, you know, this was the best fit for me. And it feels like family at Memphis. So it's not just Norvell saying something that's catchy to throw at parents and to throw at fans. He he preaches that and he he does it with every recruit. And I think at the end of the day, what recruiting is, and, and Brooks, from all the coaches that we talk to, you hear this from everybody, recruiting is about building relationships, period. 100%. That is 100% what recruiting is about. It's not who has the fanciest facilities, who won the most national championships. Now, does that play a part? Absolutely. 
that stuff matters and that's why building the brand for Memphis has been so important um but actually being able to sell these guys on something and and build relationships with them and show them that you care that's what the staff does better than probably the majority of SEC teams and that sounds that probably sounds crazy to a lot of people but this staff is incredible at building relationships they're incredible at making players feel like they're at home when they're at Memphis and that's that's just rare for uh, a whole coaching staff especially you know this staff who is is almost completely new staff uh, there's only two holdovers I believe from last year three holdovers Anthony Jones TJ Rushing Ron Silverfield so for a staff to be able to mesh this quickly and to be able to recruit this well um, and get some of the guys that they're getting to commit and on campus is is very impressive and and those you know, those are the points that you touched on, and, and it's certainly true with this coaching staff. Well, you know, speaking of facilities, you, you can't skip over what happened over the last three days without mentioning that Memphis got its first, like, actual mention of the damn Bass Pro Shops in a recruit's commitment. Uh, Jonah Gamble said that he... <laughs> He he was uh, he loved the pyramid bass pro shops. I mean, what other Division One program has a a damn bass pro shop in an Egyptian pyramid on a river? Hey, Jonah Gamble is a is a Georgia boy, so maybe they need to start targeting more of these these redneck kids and showing them that bass pro. I shops. mean, some of them big uglies. <laughs> you get some of the. <laughs> Some Bayou boys, some Georgia boys, some deep it south works. Alabama boys. <laughs> Let's get them up to the Bass Pro Shop. I think we got a model now. They ain't <laughs> never seen a Bass Pro Shop like that. <laughs> All right, so we've killed it on football. We've got about 15 minutes worth of football so far, and I know people are going to get antsy if we don't start talking about basketball. So uh, a lot of the questions on the board from last week were centered around basketball. The first one was about Kerry Blackshear and – you know, one of the things that we said from the get-go with him was it was extremely unlikely that Memphis kind of kicked the tires, but, you know, everything that I had heard up until the time that even Memphis was mentioned that, that Blackshear was likely to end up in the SEC. Uh, and, you know, if, if you missed it, Drew Hill put out an article earlier this week, I believe, or end of last week where uh, he talked to Blackshear's former coach and he said, you know, it just – Memphis isn't involved, so it, it matches what we've been hearing. Um, that was a pipe dream. Yeah, I mean, it absolutely. Made sense. It, it, it made doesn't, sense. It but... doesn't fit on what they need. Um, yeah, and, and that plays really well into the next question. Mac thirty eight one zero six said, "What do you think Penny will or should do with that last scholarship?" So, Christian, I'm going to ask you first. What do you think he will do? Honestly, with the way that. Penny Hardaway has recruited since he's gotten to Memphis. I, I can say everything I want to say because I could see I could see it being a decision to where you leave that scholarship open for 2020. But with everything that Penny Hardaway has done, I just don't see that happening. He has went out of his way to be able to fill every scholarship possible. He did it in the 2018 class. I um, mean, he's got seven commits for the, you know, got seven commits for the 2019 class. So he's not, he's not scared to go get as many guys as possible. And, and I think you see that uh, a lot of people may say that that bit back last year with uh, transfers uh, from guys like David Winge and Antoine Jones. But I mean, your job as a coach is to get as much talent as you possibly can, assemble it, make it mesh, make it work and bring it onto the floor. So I think that Penny Hardaway will feel it eventually. 
Um, and Brooks, I know you have some ideas of, of where that could come from, not specifically, but uh, some ideas on, on what, what that could potentially look like you know, further down the road. Yeah, so what I think he should do, and it matches pretty well with what I think is actually going on, um, I think Penny Hardaway will and should hold that last scholarship with two caveats. First caveat is you hold it only if you can get an elite-level player. You don't just and throw it at anybody. No, he. you don't go out and get a David Winget like he had to do last year because he needed bodies. You wait and you hold it if you can get an elite-level guy. And as of right now, minus a few random grad transfers, there's not really anybody elite out there. So the only option to fill that is if you take caveat number two into play, and that's if and when the NCAA notice of allegations hit the wire and schools start having to react to those notice of allegations. I do believe, I, I have a very, very strong feeling that at least one high major Division One head coach that will be served with notice of allegations will be fired. If and when that happens, recruits will come back on the market. Um, you know, and and my my personal feeling is that Penny Hardaway, if he has scholarships available and there are elite level guys available and he can get his foot in the door, he'll have a chance. So I fully believe that right now what you, what you're seeing is the staff sitting back, evaluating the landscape, trying to see what might happen if and when these NCAA letters go out and then trying to just immediately be at, you know, in the conversation at play for any guys that might come open. Um, so if that does not happen though, they will hold that scholarship. Absolutely. And I'm going to, I'm going to make a point that you actually made to me earlier, uh, that I think is a very interesting take and it makes a lot of sense so when when Penny Hardaway and his staff were feeling you know those final spots and and figuring out who they were going to take back in May when they did have that slew of commitments, they didn't know what this team looked like on the floor. This was on paper. What did this team look like? So now uh, the staff has been able to see what they have. Not necessarily in a game situation, obviously, but they know what these players look like on the floor together. Uh, they know what they have, so they will be able to. Uh, make a more precise de- decision on who they target and who they go after uh, if some of those guys that you were talking about do transfer due to coaches and schools getting allegations. So uh, I think that's another interesting point uh, because it could really change the landscape of who they go for. I mean, if this would have happened back in May after they got Precious Achiwa, they could target a player that they wouldn't even think about targeting now because they know what they have and they know uh, what their weaknesses would be if there are any on this team. Absolutely. I mean, there's there's no other person that's better suited to evaluate how the, the specific players they've recruited so far fit into their scheme and what they want to do for 2019-2020 in terms of a season than the staff that's actually implementing the system. So, you know, you may get, you know, Lester Quinones on campus and say, you know what, Lester can play more two and three than we thought. Uh, now that we're seeing him in, you know, in workouts and we're seeing him in skills development, we've got eight hours a week with him right now. Now that we're seeing these things, 
we don't feel as bad about where we thought we were after losing Rajon Tucker. Or maybe Precious is giving them a lot more optimism about being able to slide over to that three. And DJ is playing really good at the four, and Lance looks really good. You just you don't know what you have until all the chickens have hatched, and they're all hatched. They're all there. Um, so I think that that's probably you know to their benefit. The other good thing is that they they actually have time to be able to play games in the Bahamas, more than likely before any of the recruits that might open up from the NCAA notice of allegations would end up making a second decision if and when that does happen. So they've got time to even further develop what they're looking for, what they think they need after seeing these guys in real games too. Yeah, absolutely. And and like you said, it gives them more time to evaluate. It gives them more time to look at it. Um, and you got some crazy metaphors that I don't know where you get them from. You never heard that? Matt, I'm I'm too young to hear these old people metaphors. I don't know where they come from. I'm not that old. I'm not that old. I'm I'm 36. I turned 37 this year. Well, I'm I'm you got me by you know 16 <laughs> years. So there's some differential all right. there. All right. So enough about chicken hatching and counting your eggs and all that mess. Uh, <laughs> we did have one other question from Tiger Chaz. Tiger Chaz is uh, one of the most active people on our boards. He is uh, extremely entertaining, and uh, he wants to know if we have any summer workout updates. Uh, and, you know, very limited. Uh, one, because the staff just now started getting to work with them not long ago. Uh, the players were not all on campus until about two weeks back when Precious Achua finally showed up. Um, so now that they are all there, though, I mean, you're seeing a lot of videos posted on social media by the Memphis staff. Uh, they're killing it, by the way. So shout out to whoever's doing Memphis' social media. They're doing a great job. But from what I've been told, uh, Boogie Ellis looks tremendous. James Wiseman looks better than expected. Uh, But I've also been told that Damian Ball looks extremely good, uh, that it's going to be hard to keep him off the floor, uh, and that he's got pro written all over him. So, uh, you know, as far as the other guys – uh, you know the two guys that I'm hearing things about that we've said uh, are that Lester Quinones and uh, DJ Jeffries need to you know get a little bit more in shape uh, and get their conditioning up to par, uh, but that's n- not a huge deal. The, the guys that they've got around the program and Darby Rich, they'll get them they'll get them whipped into shape real quick. So uh, no big deal there. Uh, that's all I've got on summer workouts in terms of what I've been you know hearing from pickup games and, and that kind of stuff. But there is a very interesting point that you did not touch on. What other college basketball program in the country can sell you to come play for their program and you get to play against Mike Miller and Penny Hardaway? I think that is one of the coolest things ever. Ooh, dude, Penny Hardaway's little old man step back <laughs> jumper is so it's still wet. dirty. Dude, it's he, still dirty. And there's nobody that's blocking that. He'll be hitting that shot until he's 65 years old. And Mike Miller, that, that three-point shot's never going away. Well, I thought it was hilarious because one of the players uh, commented on that video and uh, actually said Cody Topper was the MVP, which I, you know, I'm trying to, after the videos, I'm just trying to figure out, like, what did Cody Topper do 
other than like maybe he's just such a good shooter that him running around like crazy just drew so much attention that Mike was able to I don't know I I, I want to see the I want to see these games oh I, I would be very very intrigued by seeing a 3v3 with those coaches and I, I'm sure Tony Madlock can still play a little bit too I'm not trying to count yeah, out Tony, Tony Madlock here yeah I want to see videos of of Tony running the point again with Penny I think that would be a, a whole lot of fun to watch well, let, let's, it, staff, if you're watching this, let's set it up, 3v3, uh, let's do it for charity, let's do it at the El Morone, half court, you guys don't have to run full court. Half court, <laughs> half court. <laughs> and, I bet uh, Cody Topper could still run full court. Let, let's pack it out. Uh, so, Christian, I think that's it. We got no other questions that were really relevant still, uh, or that are great format for the podcast so i'm gonna call it man i think it was a good show you killed it on football that said it's a wrap <laughs>